0: THE AMERICAN COUNCIL OF THE BLIND PRESENTS ACB REPORTS, A MONTHLY NEWS MAGAZINE CONTAINING TOPICS OF INTEREST TO PEOPLE WHO ARE BLIND OR HAVE LOW VISION. I'M MIKE DUKE. THIS MONTH... THE SPRING AND SUMMER STYLE REPORT FOR MEN FROM THE MIRRORS PROJECT AND NEWS FROM THE LEGISLATIVE SEMINAR. WELCOME TO ACB REPORTS FOR APRIL 2012. On February 25th, American Council of the Blind President Mitch Pomerantz welcomed those who attended the Affiliate Presidents' Meeting held in Arlington, Virginia. President Pomerantz stressed the importance of remaining focused on the important work that lies ahead for the organization.
1: I want to uh, particularly thank the folks in the D.C. and Virginia area for providing weather that I can handle. Other than uh, last night's uh, tornado, (laughs) I want to acknowledge the hard work of the uh, ACB Washington office staff and the Minnesota office staff. Without their efforts, we wouldn't have a president's meeting or a legislative seminar, especially the legislative seminar. I also want to acknowledge the presidents and the other officers of our state and special interest affiliates who are here today. I do live with the president of CCB, <laughs> and so on a daily basis I hear about the trials and tribulations of a state affiliate. While the American economy, at least, superficially seems to be improving. Other than perhaps a couple of very unusual states, the current situation and the future for state programs for people with disabilities generally and people who are blind or visually impaired specifically is getting worse and will get even more serious over the next several years. They want to cut out Medicaid for blind people in Missouri. And perhaps, Denny, you won that battle yesterday. I'm not a clairvoyant, but I can assure you they'll be back. In California, we have a program called IHSS, In Home Support Service, where aides come in for a certain number of hours per week to assist people with significant disabilities, including people who are blind to do some of their chores. That program, if the state had its way, would all but disappear. However, there have been two successful stays in courts. I don't care how hard as affiliate leaders you think you're working now. You're going to be working 10 times harder over the next decade if you want to maintain services in your states. If you don't like it, you're in the wrong business. There has never been such a serious threat nationally to programs and services for blind people as there is today. And I hope all of you recognize that and I hope all of you recognize that the American Council of the Blind will stand firm with you to try and maintain what you already have and to make some effort to expand those programs and services down the road. But our problem is similar to your problem. There are only so many of us. The old adage that 20 percent of the members do 80% of the work is absolutely true and you and I all know it. And all I can say is, such is life and we just have to roll up our sleeves a little higher and get a little dirtier and get a little less sleep and carry on. And I also know that fundraising and funding your organization is an issue. Other than a, a couple of very fortunate, well-endowed affiliates, again, it's a problem that each and every one of us faces. And by the way, it's an issue for ACB as well. Thankfully last June, Melanie and I found an incredible gentleman to handle development work for ACB, Steve Obremsky.
0: The next day, the affiliate president's meeting transitioned into the legislative seminar. Eric Bridges, director of government and advocacy for the American Council of the Blind, says that some of the discussions with Congress are already beginning to blossom.
2: Just before the legislative seminar that Friday, some exciting news came out that uh, Congressman Ed Markey of Massachusetts introduced the Prescription Drug Labeling Promotion Act of 2012 which is our accessible prescription drug labeling bill that was an imperative last year, was sort of retooled between last year and this year, worked on actively by Congressman Markey's staff and us, along with the American Foundation for the Blind. It seeks to set up a working group composed equally of consumers, so blind and visually impaired individuals, pharmacy representatives, and then also government officials. This would happen within the Department of Health and Human Services. This group would look at best practices for how to make the information on the prescription drug label accessible to individuals who are blind or visually impaired. From there, there would be an implementation period where these best practices would be expected to go into effect with pharmacies. And then at the end of this implementation period, uh, the Government Accountability Office, or GAO, would do a report that looked at the compliance by the pharmacies with these best practices. These best practices would be things such as large font, different types of font, color contrast, along with audible options, such as things with RFID tags that you could wave a a device in front of it and it would tell you audibly what information was on the drug label, as well as Braille in some instances. And, you know, not limiting it necessarily to those three, but those are the three options that are out there right now, meeting the needs of the largest population. Each one of those hits a slightly different population of individuals. HR 4087 the Prescription Drug Labeling Promotion Act has been introduced, and I'd like to encourage ACB members to call their members of Congress and ask them to be a co-sponsor of it. And they can contact Congressman Markey's office at uh,
0: 202-225-2836. Now, this legislation was talked about at the seminar last year, but until right before the seminar this year was not actual legislation.
2: That is correct, an actual introduced bill form.
0: And is there a companion bill in the Senate yet?
2: One is being worked on in the Senate with Senator Harkin and Senator Enzi, the chair and ranking member of the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. They've actively committed to doing something in this area. So uh, really what needs to be done is uh, folks need to contact their members of Congress and ask them to co-sponsor. And if they have questions, please direct them to me.
0: The other piece in the seminar this year was the vehicle donation program, trying to, again, do some damage control, as it were.
2: Last year, the day after our legislative seminar, uh, H.R. 860 was introduced by Representatives Dave Reichert of Washington State and John Larson of Connecticut. Really what this seeks to do is to loosen the requirements that went into effect in 2004, dealing with charitable vehicle donations. What had happened was in 1986, the tax bill allowed individuals to donate vehicles at fair market price to charities. And um, it was a great deal, but as it continued through the 90s and the early part of the 21st century, a lot of abuses were detected, and a lot of the abuses were due to the fact that frankly the IRS didn't have enough enforcement folks to actually look at documentation there was a total value that someone could deduct at five thousand dollars and apparently there were a lot of folks that were claiming four thousand (laughs) nine hundred ninety nine dollars as the value of their vehicle and so in 2004 quite rightly Congress looked at this as an abuse and they put in a greater enforcement mechanism and penalties for individuals who would lie about the value of their vehicle. But they also reduced the overall value that they could claim and that the charity could claim for the vehicle that they were going to be donating. They reduced it to something around $500 and everything over $500 had to go to auction and had to get an appraisal and all of this, which in essence, has crushed many small charities, not just ACB affiliates, but charities all over the country. This isn't blindness-specific, but it deals with charities, and and many small charities utilize the vehicle donation program as a critical revenue stream in order to provide services in the community. So many of our affiliates have experienced huge hits because the person donating the vehicle doesn't know how much they're going to get or when they're going to receive the check unlike before and so it becomes a hassle and they wind up not even coming back to donate for other things because that experience has been a challenge so those folks never darken the doors of these organizations again when they can donate something else to another charity and not have to go through the hassle So what we're seeking to do is to alleviate some of the challenges. That's what H.R. 860 does. We've got over 240 co-sponsors. It is very nonpartisan. There's over 110 of the 240 co-sponsors that are Republicans, so it's pretty much unanimous. Um, In fact, we've got over half of the House of Representatives signed
0: up. This, as you said, is not blindness-specific. It is uh, charity-wide, which means it's an excellent opportunity for ACB and its affiliates to network with a lot of these other charities within our local communities.
2: Absolutely, some of the charities that are actively supporting this legislation include St. Vincent's Paul, Habitat for Humanity, and others.
0: About the time of the uh, legislative seminar, there was a flurry of activity that related to some legislation which would greatly impact Randolph Shepard vendors and uh, the uh, blind vendors program. Talk about that
2: for probably the month leading up to the legislative seminar both in the House and then later in the Senate, the transportation bill was moving, first in the House. And a member from uh, Ohio had introduced an amendment to the transportation bill that would seek to commercialize rest stops. As many folks know, there are hundreds of Randolph Shepard vendors that operate vending machines or other facilities along rest stops in the states. What this sought to do was to commercialize them. The amendment in the Senate made no mention of the Randolph Shepard priority. And through a lot of just good old fashioned shoe leather advocacy and countless phone calls, our folks were able to get the amendment in the House amended to have it explicitly speak to the Randolph Shepard priority. However, that transportation bill sort of uh, caved in under its own weight. Uh, it was a pretty controversial piece of legislation uh, that had nothing to do with the Randall Shepard stuff. And so the Senate then elected to take its bill up. And uh, Senator Portman from Ohio offered roughly the same sort of amendment. And thankfully, we were able to defeat it by account of uh 86 no's to 12 yeses. Um, A
0: thorough thrashing.
2: (laughs) Indeed, it was a thrashing. And uh, it's, you know, the the power of advocacy.
0: Is it unusual for an amendment to be defeated that soundly?
2: Not necessarily. Things tend to occur on partisan lines. And Senator Portman is a Republican in a Senate that's controlled by Democrats. So to get 86 no's, it's on the higher end, obviously. And it's something to sit up and take note of. But uh, understanding the politics, we thought we could win, but it was going to take a big effort because the National Governors Association was actively supporting the amendment, and the National Governors Association has a lot of power. That's what made it more of an excellent win, in my view, was that we went up against much larger forces that had a lot more dollars, Um, not so much the senator and his amendment.
0: The House bill is gone. This means that if the Senate passes theirs, then it goes to the House. Is that amendment likely to come back up this session, or is that something you don't want to speculate on?
2: I don't want to speculate on that right now. The whole transportation negotiation has been very messy. Maybe we could see it again. I just wouldn't want to speculate on that right now.
0: Stay tuned for more audio from both the affiliate president's meeting and the legislative seminar on future editions of ACB Reports. To send comments and suggestions about this program, send an email message to reports at acbradio.org. Last month, Lynn Cooper opened the resources of the Mirrors Project to present the Spring and Summer Fashion Report for ladies. This time, she shares what's in the stores for men.
3: So welcome, listeners, to our ACB Reports look at men's ready-to-wear for the Spring and Summer of 2012, clothing that is right off the pages of fashion magazines in the United States and in Europe, and also off-the-runway. Once again, listeners, we are not suggesting everybody dash out and buy these, but it does give you an idea of how to make these looks work for your life, your closet, and to uh, incorporate them in whatever way we can. So we're going to start with the major trends for spring and summer 2012. The first one for men is print shirts. Now, this is not a big surprise. It's really lovely. It can be worn with jeans, usually not tucked in. So we want to look for a straight hem if we do this. And we're not talking the Hawaiian shirt. This is often a photographic print. It can be a geometric print, but they're very colorful. And it's a lovely way to bridge that chasm, if you will, between a t-shirt and a casual shirt. They come in long sleeves, but for the most part, we see a lot of them in short sleeves, often very structured, if you will, nothing fancy in the cut. You know, they're still button front and what have you. But it's kind of a fun thing to put with, as I said, khakis or jeans. Then we also are seeing something which is pretty wild. We are seeing it over other shirts or t-shirts or right over one's skin, and that is netting fabrics. And when we say netting, we mean a net. We hearken to like a fisherman's net, but it's a weave of a fabric which actually you can see through. There's a million different variations on this theme, but we are seeing this. This is not in pants. This is not in jackets. This is in tops. So if one wanted to and felt so inclined, you could do this in a t-shirt. I would suggest wearing it under a contrasting shirt, underneath, or maybe even a similar color just to give a little texture and then you can put that under a a casual jacket we're also seeing cropped pants cropped meaning shorter pants this is very big look and once again this is theater this is off the runway very little was to the ankle or lower now if you are a banker if you're in business if you're applying for a job or an interview of any sort not probably the best look If you can get away with being fashion forward, if you're out with your friends, if you're in a fashion industry, go for it. Cropped, meaning even in suits, they're about an inch or so above the ankle. And they are either rolled hem, which means just that. They're rolled. Those are a couple inches above the ankle. And you're seeing a lot of those in jeans. And as I said, they are even in suits, but they are not rolled. That is um, a straight cut. And once again, pleats have not made a comeback. So gentlemen, keep your no pleat uh, flat front pants uh, going. Checks, checks are very big. Now once again, this is really fashion forward, but they can be subtle checks in neutrals, like gray on gray for a suit or a jacket or pants. Or they can be brights, which is pretty wild, a person in a bright check suit coming at you. So, you know, once again, you want to go theatrical or if you uh, want to keep it subtle but still to look current. Then a really big look, which I know will be interpreted all the way from the lower end stores on up. And that is a zip pocketed mid thigh or just below one's fanny parka. When I say parka, most people think, oh my gosh, snow parka. But essentially it's that, only it's a nylon or a cotton and it's thin. And it has a hood, and it has a zip front, and sometimes it has a drawstring waist or a drawstring hem. But it's thin. And we're seeing that in colors. We're seeing that in everything from white to bright red. So that's kind of fun. And once again, that can be probably purchased relatively inexpensively, as a look like that is easy to interpret and is often interpreted by every kind of store and every manufacturer. Bright, bright colors very bright colors, monochromatic brights. I've seen orange shoes, orange pants, orange shirt, orange jacket. I mean, that's, once again, making a statement. A very accessible but current look are baseball jackets. Vintage stores are full of them, fellas. That's kind of a fun place to get these. Baseball jacket, meaning what baseball players would wear to warm up. It has a fabric around the cuff, elastic fabric around the waist. That is a very big look. And then, of course, neutrals. Same thing for women, but neutrals, meaning sand color, tan color. Uh, Neutrals being just that, something you can wear with everything else. Lightweight in cotton or linen. We're also seeing neutrals, canvas and woven hats and shoes. It's an entire look, and we're really seeing it. We're neutrals from head to toe. And the jeans this year, Pretty much like last year are in a darker dye and i always like to talk about jeans because everybody wears jeans and jeans are worn a lot and quite frankly jeans have a code a dress code and it's that color code so some years light dyed jeans are big or stonewashed or what have you but it's pretty much dark dyed jeans bright blue seems to be the color that was shown on the runway Soft tailoring was another big look. That's crumpled. The jackets that are unstructured, loose, casual. Shorter, once again, and looser. Rolled, that seems to be a very, very big look for casual. You'd wear these with topside or tennis shoes, and those are, are boat shoes. Slip-ons, slip-on loafers with no socks. Or a big look is like a biblical sandal. No padding, no structure, much other than just a couple pieces of leather over a very flat sole. In suits, the only thing that came to mind is tricky to wear, unless you are in the highest, highest end of fashion. It looks like the men in the magazines are wearing their little brother's suits. It really is. It's the most absurd thing. And yet, for Estella, who can carry off the whole look. When I was in New York and there was two gentlemen coming toward me, and I love New York City because fashion is just, they breathe it. And this fella had on a suit like this. The jacket was short. The sleeves were short. There was a lot of shirt sticking out. The jacket just was extremely tight. And it did not fall on his hips where a regular suit jacket would. The pants were narrow and a couple inches above the ankle. He looked like a million bucks because immediately he had on the eyeglasses, he had on the bag, he had the shoes. He just looked like somebody who was en route back to his uh, design firm. So that is the absolutely most fashion-forward look at suits. But primarily, the suit that you have in the closet, not double-breasted. We're not seeing a lot of double-breasted, just single-breasted, two-button, very narrow flat front narrow pants just grazing the top of your shoes perfect and tie-up shoes or loafers are big and a leather jacket once again try secondhand shops a lot of these can be found at secondhand shops a leather jacket is a motorcycle jacket which is not long it's not past the waist it's usually a little snugger so if there's two sizes go for the smaller that is being shown in black And also in deep colors, in deep uh, gem tone colors. Hair moving on to the body that wears these interesting looks. Short, short, short shaved on the sides, literally shaved on the sides, very little sideburn, long on top. That long hair on top is either swept back with product, as they say, so it has a wet look, but it stays back, or very, very big is curled whether it be down on one's forehead or just straight up, it is curled. And there's usually a side part. If one is going to have a more conservative hairdo for business, a side part is very big. Eyeglasses, an aviator style, which we've talked about in years past, getting the name from actual pilots years ago, wartime pilots, the wire-framed aviator glass is very big very big size on one's face, almost exaggerated. That's very popular. And then a very big look is a chunky, nerdy kind of either black, sort of looks like 1960s frames, the ones that we just hated to wear in grade school. Those are all coming back either in a black plastic frame or in a tortoise shell, which is a brown and gold mixed extruded plastic and those are very 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 big shoes fringed suede shoes are very big loafers are really big you can wear them without socks if you wish for more casual and then just like we talked about for women's wear oxford tie-ups they're called bucks and that refers to what they were called back in the 40s and 50s it's actually a new buck n-u-b-u-c-k And that refers to a shaved suede so imagine that little fuzz on a suede leather that is actually shaved it's tricky to take care of because once it's stained it's pretty much stained you can't brush the stain out or the dirt out but that's very very big and the soles are those creepers we spoke about they are foam or rubber and they are raised a bit maybe an inch Or even higher, and the most exciting that I've seen on the runway would be like a tan or an off white buck lace up Oxford, and then there would be a bright orange sole or a bright pink sole or a bright blue sole. And once again, that's fashion forward, but have fun if you're in a casual mood. The bag for men, once again, maybe not terribly practical, but it is an envelope clutch in leather, and that means that instead of carrying a day bag or a uh, man purse, as we used to refer to them, a clutch. Once again, this is what's shown on the runway. Is it practical for your life? You'll have to determine that. And ties are thinner, but not string ties. They're not terribly, terribly thin. And I'm noticing that often they are done in solid knits. So not a lot of real shiny or real uh, soft and gentle silks. It's more of a substantial tie. And remember that this is pretty wild considering that menswear ekes along at a glacial pace compared to womenswear. It does not have the rate of change anywhere near as much as womenswear does. So there you go, gentlemen. Have fun and have a wonderful spring and summer 2012.
0: If you have a question about your personal image, appropriate dress for a given situation, or a related subject, Lynn is preparing a question and answer segment for ACB reports. Submit your question by going to the contact link on her website, lynncooper.us, or contact the ACB national office and your question will be forwarded to her.